Now, you know that we've been studying. We're in our third week of a five-week series on the core beliefs. Core beliefs. Go ahead. Okay, now here's my question. Before he puts it up here, can you tell me what our number one belief is? Put it up there, Zach. The Bible is our guidebook. Now then, do you remember last week? What's our second core belief? God loves us and has a plan for us. And then today, what's today? All people, not just some people, not just a few people, not just people like us. All people matter to God. Next week, do you know what it is? God loves us and has a... Excuse me. We seek to honor God in all we do. I went crazy. And then the last one is the local church is the hope of the world. Now, what I want to do in a technology... Go ahead, Zach. I hit it one more time. I want to take the all people matter to God and highlight it, move it over just a little bit, and let's talk about debt today, okay? Now, have you ever sat in a mall and watched people? That's more fun than a circus, more fun than a barrel of monkeys. In fact, you sit in a mall and watch people and all us old men, we could find the closest bench if we go to the mall with our wives and we just watch people. And all of a sudden you see this beautiful woman coming down on the arm of an ugly man. And you think, how'd he do that? And then you look and there's this man that looks really good and he got this, I can't, you can say ugly man, you can't say ugly woman, can you? I told somebody the other day, I said, uh, you know, I've never seen an ugly bride. There have been some close calls. But you know what I'm talking about. You look in the mall, you watch people, you're going to see people of all shapes, sizes, colors. You're going to see weird dress, particularly today. Um, it looks like a lot of the guys that I see, particularly the teenage boys, it looks like that they've all lost about 300 pounds with that, those big legs. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I just wondered. But you know what? When you look and you see people of all sizes and shapes and colors and creeds and backgrounds, these folks have two things in common, two qualities in common. Number one, they are designed in the image of God. And number two, they matter to God. They matter to God. And it stands to reason that if all people matter to God, then all people must matter to God's people. And that is us. We get no time off. We get no vacation. People have to matter to God's people. All kind of people. Uh, I used to sing a song and didn't know that Joel, Joel Hemphill wrote it wrong. I used to sing a song, God loves people, any shape, any color, any size. And then I found out that he wrote it, God likes people. Well, I got news for you. God loves people. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter how bad your parents treated you. Doesn't matter what your background is. Now, as we look at as we look at our text today, you know what we discover? We discover that Jesus gives us an example for loving people. He tells us about loving people. When you think about the earthly ministry of Jesus, you find that Je- Jesus didn't just go to people that <laughs> those around him wanted him to go to. He went to the poor. He went to the hurting. 
He went to the lame. He went to the blind. He went to the crippled. He went to people, and he offered them a hand. Now, I want to say this to you. Please listen. He didn't particularly offer them a hand out. He offered them a hand up because he expected them, when he touched them, to go and do something with their lives. Go and sin no more. Take up your bed and walk. He expected them to go and do something because he loved people. And the truth is, he found a group of people that enraged him, angered him. And that was the religious leaders, the church people, who spent more time trying to protect their, 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 their church structure than they did meeting the needs of those people who lay in the shadow of their steeple. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, those folks who were supposed to be learned. Now, if we go to our scripture, and I hope you'll keep your Bible open because you might be surprised that it's actually going to come from the scripture today. I hope it does every day. But I hope you'll keep your Bible open and follow along. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When we consider our words that we've read, verse 35 through 38, and we, and we consider that chapter 9, in chapter 9 he had been healing, he'd been casting out demons, he'd been teaching, he'd been moving among the people. And beyond that, he observed people. And he saw people. Now watch this. Scripture says that he saw them that they were weary and worn out and wandering, weary, worn out, and lost, weary and worn out and looking. And I suggest to you, submit to you, that he wasn't just looking at their financial condition. He was looking deeper than that. And you know what, folks? Today in our culture, people are weary and they're worn out and they're wandering. They're weary and worn out from trying to find the right way, trying to find peace, trying to find hope, trying to find help. They're wondering because they're looking in all the wrong places to find it. And if all people matter to us as a church, it has to, all people have to matter to us then as an individual. And if that is the case, how? Do we convey that? How can the world that so desperately needs what we say that we have, how can we convey it? What characteristics need to be in our lives? And what can we draw out of this text? Go ahead, Zach. On the back of your bulletin, you have a structure that looks something like that. Let's follow along because if, we're going, if all people matter to God and we're going to be on point for God, there are at least four things that we must be that are just like Christ. First of all, I submit to you, we must be consistent. Consistent. I've already said that Jesus was out and about and among people. He, um, he went and he healed and he taught, cast out demons and the like. And then in verse 35 it says this, Jesus went into all the villages and towns teaching, preaching, and healing. When you look at this word consistent, you find that 
people don't think much of consistency today. But here's what I'll tell you. You can hang on to these two statements. An inconsistent life is an ineffective life, whereas a consistent life is an effective life. Inconsistency, ineffectiveness. Consistency, effectiveness. When you look at the life of Jesus, he was consistent. And you go, well, yeah, but he was the Lord. Yeah, but we need to, we can't really put our hands around this because we can't explain it. But Jesus was fully human, fully divine, and he never lost an ounce of either, and he existed in one body. How did that happen? I don't know, but I know that Jesus was tempted every way we were. And so in his humanity, how did he remain consistent? Very simple. It's very simple to say. It's not simple to do. But he began every day with the Father. You read Mark and you find he hadn't even start, begun his ministry and he went and he prayed. In fact, in Matthew 4, he went out, it says he went out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to fast. Now, I'm just going to tell you, every time Jesus taught, the reason that you fasted was to pray. And that fasting was, were to, make, was to make you more sensitive to the Spirit of God. So here's what happened. Jesus went out. And he prayed every morning. He communed with God. And the Father communed with him. And then he left that time together. And he went out to the people. And he, now he was able to convey to the people what the Father had given him. And what happened is that as he did that every morning, his life was consistent. Could it be that the reason that we're not more consistent than we are is that we spend no time communing with God. You know, I did some study about consistency this week. Those who are computer techies, go and uh, look on the Internet. And you know what I found? I found page after page after page about quotations about what believers and what people think about consistency. Irish poet and novelist Oscar Wilde wrote these two statements. I just pulled these two out haphazardly. He said, Consistency is the last resort of the unimaginative. And then he goes on, he says, Faithfulness is to the emotion what consistency is to the spiritual, and that is a confession of failures. You see, people don't believe that we can be consistent anymore. Now, now I, could give you, I could give you quote after quote, but here's what I want to say. When I began studying this thing of being consistent in our lives, I was real disturbed until I, until I believe the Lord told me this. Are you ready? Apart from the guidance and the leadership of the Spirit of God in our lives, we have no hope of being consistent. Apart from the Spirit working in our lives, that Spirit of God, leading us. We have no hope of being consistent. Because of our fallen nature, we are, tend to be inconsistent with our lives. Jesus was consistent. He, he went to the villages and the towns, and he teached, and he preached, and he healed. He did what he was designed to do because he had the consistency of, of communing with the Father. Apostle Paul understood about lack of consistency. He did. Romans 7, he wrote, to the church at Rome, he said, Teddy, can you identify with this? 
that what which I want to do, I don't do. That what I don't want to do, I do. That's what, his, that's what he wrote. Three years later, he had a handle on it when he wrote the church at Philippi. And you know what he wrote to them? He said, I can now do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the spiritual growth of those three years. You see, when we grow spiritually or mature, we become like Jesus. Never forget those words that Brother Johnny sang. We've heard it before, but Brother Johnny sang it one of his first Sundays here. You may be the only Jesus that some people ever see. If you're the only Jesus that some people ever see, what will happen to them? One of the reasons that we are consistent is so that those outside of Christ, those part of that all people, can come to know Christ. We must be consistent. The second thing that I pulled out from this scripture is not only must we be consistent, we must be, number two, compassionate. <laughs> Compassion is a hard sell today in America. People don't want to be compassionate. Hello? Hello? Are you asleep? People don't want to be compassionate. Now, in fairness and balance, there are people all the while trying to take advantage of us. And many of them try to take advantage of us because we profess to know Christ. I know you get them, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to use this as an illustration, just one illustration, is that I get three to five emails a week. Generally, it's from a female who was a wife, daughter, or granddaughter of a patriarch who died, and oh, by the way, he had anywhere from 20 to $40 million in an account offshore, and what they need is they need somebody to help them get that money in the states. And oh, by the way, if you'll do this for us, you'll get 20%. Now, some of you wrinkling your forehead. I get this regularly. And they appeal to me as a pastor trying to help them in the Lord. I'll tell you, the first time I got it, I called the FBI. I call the FBI. You may say amen, but I'll tell you what, it's old me because the FBI said, Pastor, we get this complaint all the time and there's very little we can do about it. And I got to thinking about it. You know, Bob, 20% of $20 million. (laughs) And I figured $4 million, if it's right, and then if it's money laundering, I'll get the $4 million and four years in prison and $400,000. And if it's not true, you know what happens? I lose all my money when I give them my bank account. Hello? You see, people appeal to our compassion. And yet, here's what I want to say to you. It wasn't about their finances that Jesus was compassionate about. He was compassionate because they were weary And they were worn and they were wandering, weary and worn out. He could see beyond the physical and he could see to the spiritual. He could see that these people were looking for purpose. They were looking for hope. They were looking for meaning. They were looking for help, if you will. And because they were looking in all the wrong places, as I've already said, they're now worn totally out. And I want to ask a question. Nobody raise your hand. But just give me your eyes just for a second. 
How long has it been since you've been stirred to compassion about someone's eternal destination? How long has it been? Do you understand that salvation is a either or, yes, no, will, won't, do, don't proposition? There is no grading on the curve. Before you can be spiritually compassionate for someone, one of the things that you have to clear up in your mind is do I have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus? Now, some of you will say yes, some will say no, and some will say I'm not sure. If you're saying I'm not sure, let me speak to you just for a second. If you're really not sure, one of two things has happened to you. First, some years have passed. You have begun a relationship with Christ. You came to Him in repentance. You repented of your sin. You invited Him into your life. He came in. You began your walk. But here's what happened. Somewhere along the way, sin crept into your life. It may have started off as a little sin. It may have started off as something that you thought was no big deal. But because you didn't deal with it when the Spirit of God spoke to you, here's what happened. It began to grow. And then you got to where you like it. And today, what's trying to, you're trying to do, you're trying to hang on to your sin with one hand and hang on to Jesus with the other hand. And when sin is your life, when sin is in your life, Jesus moves away. And please listen. And the Lord Jesus will not ever be close to you as long as you're embracing and hanging on to that sin. The Bible tells us that we have to repent. And turn to God. Repentance, as I've said many times, is an about face. That means you turn your back on your sin. That means you change your lifestyle. It could be at the point of your job. It could be at the point of your, of your home. It could be at the point of your relationships. It could be at the point of your finance. It could be anything. It could be a morality issue. But whatever sin is eating at you, as long as that sin is being held close, Jesus refuses to be close. Now, if you choose to repent, the Bible tells us if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin. And then you'll be restored. And then you will not guess anymore whether you're going to heaven or not. You'll not guess anymore whether you know him or not. You'll not have to guess because your heart will no longer be hard. Second possibility is that you're not saved. You've never had a relationship with God. Now, please listen. I want to be very clear about this. You could have been dunked, sprinkled, christened, confirmed, and even had one of those little feathers held over your head. It doesn't matter. But apart from Jesus Christ, there is no eternal life. You see, the only way we'll find compassion, the only way we can give compassion is to have received compassion compassion and here's what's happened once we settle that in our lives then we can see the crowd then we can feel compassion because we understand what they've been searching for they're weary and they're worn out because they're they're just wandering because we've been there and god has delivered us 
If all people matter to God, they deserve our spiritual compassion. We must be consistent. We must be compassionate, but it doesn't stop there. We must be concerned. Do you know that you can have empathy, sympathy, compassion, and everything else for people, but if you're not really concerned about them, it will not motivate you to action? I want you to look in verse 37, and this is the heart of what we're talking about today when we talk about all people really matter to God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 37, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. You know, I read almost two dozen uh, versions of the Bible, translations and paraphrases. Here's what I've discovered. That word abundant has translated a number of ways. Plenteous. Rich, uh, huge, you get the idea. Several words. Harvest is abundant. But the laborers, that is the workers, the toilers, that's those who put their shoulder to the plow. Not those who talk about it, those who work at it. In the modern-day church, we have a lot of people talking about it and very few people laboring and working at it. Well, you had all those words for abundant and all those words for laborer, and then it says are few. And in all translations and paraphrases, anything I put my hands on, there's only one word, few. It means not enough. Jesus looked out and he said, man, we have this big harvest, but it's huge, it's ripe, and it's ready. It needs to be gathered, but I don't have enough workers to go get them. Now, men and ladies, if you have a garden or a field or a plantation and you put seed in the ground, and God blesses you with a huge harvest. But you don't have enough people to get the fruit out of the field. What happens to it? It rots on the vine. Spiritually speaking, if there is a huge harvest to be had in the Hueytown area, bringing people to Jesus and into God's kingdom and into the church, and there's not enough people to go and reap the harvest. Do you know what happens eternally? Those folks are going to miss heaven and they're going to go to a place called hell. In the late, in the late 1970s, Chuck Klein produced a movie entitled The Harvest. It was on VHS. I've not seen it on DVD. 17 minutes long and it was based basically on his life. Has anybody seen The Harvest? In fact, I tried to find a copy for today and I couldn't. A family, a father, four boys aged 2 to 10, and a wife living in the Idaho, Montana area farming. They got the seed in the ground. It started growing and Dad died of a heart attack. 
where the harvest began to come in, it was a big harvest. And they couldn't, they couldn't keep the equipment running. The boys could do a little bit but couldn't do it all. Mom didn't know how. And they looked out there and they knew that harvest was their livelihood for the next year. And they knew that the time was coming that it would be too late. You know what happened? Everybody around got their harvest done. And they'd been talking about this family. And in an unexpected move, they looked. And here down the road came the fellow farmers around the country, around their countryside, with all their equipment. And they came in. And they brought the harvest in in record time. Nobody was standing around. Nobody's watching. Nobody had nothing to do. Nobody was cheering them on. They came and they got to work and they brought the harvest in because they all worked together. You know what the truth is? There's a lot of fruit of the spiritual field. That means there's a lot of people who are ready to find out about what it means to have a relationship with the Lord. Are you concerned about the people around you that have no relationship with God? Now, please hear me clearly. Yes, I I would like everybody in the community to come to Huey County Baptist Church. But everybody may not come here. But whether they come here or they go to North Highlands or Pleasant Ridge or River Road or Concord Highlands or Dolomite or Gary Wood or wherever, our purpose in life is to reap the spiritual harvest and bring them to know Christ Jesus. It's easy to say amen to that. But are we concerned enough to put our shoulder to the plow? Are we concerned enough about our community to do whatever it takes? Oh, yeah, I am, Brother Jerry. Well, let me just tell you, right after this service today, we're going to give teams flyers. All we're asking is just to pass out flyers for our Labor Day picnic. We've asked for ten teams for the last four weeks, and we have three. We have 2,400 flyers here. We have, uh, uh, we did have them. We have the maps here. You're needed. You are needed. God is calling you and I to serve. You see, folks, we can be consistent in our lives and pat ourselves on the back. We can even be compassionate about people and pat ourselves on the back. We can be concerned. Just don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. But you know what the truth is? It won't matter unless we're committed. We must be committed. Committed. I want you to look at that last uh, verse. This is about to get really personal, so hang on. Therefore, Jesus says, because the harvest is plenteous and the labors are few, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into his harvest. Now, this is funny to me. Because I know the disciples who were hearing this being told, I know what they were thinking. (laughs) He's talking about us. You pray for people to go into the harvest, and I think the disciples knew that their life was going to be different. And then look at, if you look in chapter 10, verse 1, Holman Christian Standard, I love this translation, says, summonings his 12 disciples. 
Most translations says call. But whether you get a call or a summons, you best show up. You know what the truth is? God summoned Jesus to earth. He summons Jesus and he sent him to earth. He didn't go into all heaven and say, who will go and die for my people? He didn't do that. He summons Jesus and he said, you're the one. And sent Jesus to the earth to die for all people. And you know what? Jesus came to the earth and he summoned the people who believe in him. Summons them to himself and he sent them out to reap the harvest that his death made possible. And he reminded us, Jesus reminded us in his last words when he said, as you're going, make disciples. As you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to play golf, as you go to play tennis, as you go to watch football, as you go to play in the band, make disciples. Folks, that call to make disciples, please listen. It's not a request. It's not a suggestion. And and it is not a worldwide publicity campaign. Dr. Russell Moore wrote, It's a call to war. Because when we get out there... We're facing a spiritual battle. And when we go and share our faith with those all people who need God, you know what happens? The forces of evil come against us. Because in the average person, the force of our enemy has his hooks deeply embedded. We can't get it out. We can only be an instrument that the Holy Spirit can use. But when God calls us, we are not volunteers. We are literally servants and slaves. A volunteer can make his own schedule. A servant and a slave is at the beck and call of his master. We're servants, slaves, and soldiers because we're in a war. Paul said, I'm an ambassador. I'm an emissary, if you will. I'm a representative. And then he says, I'm also a servant and I'm also a slave. Let's finish. Let's finish by making it as personal as we can. Since, since all people matter to God. Who is it that God has put in your life? And you know, sure as I'm standing here and you're sitting there, you know that the Holy Spirit of God has been pushing it toward speaking to them about things relating to their eternal destiny. I'm not talking about you go to church I'm afraid that our country's got enough church. They just don't have enough God. 
Who is it that the Holy Spirit of God is moving you toward? And you say, well, nobody will listen. It's my belief, conviction based on this word, that if you're a true child of God, the Holy Spirit's working you every day, every day, to speak to someone that crosses your path. You go, Brother Jerry, I don't sense that. Well, could it be that you're so tied up in sin in your life that he's a long way away? Or could it be that he's never changed your heart? Folks, this thing of all people matter to God to me was summed up years ago by a youth evangelist when he says, we seem to be playing games. And Satan is playing for keeps. If you don't know Christ, you matter today. He died for you. If you know him today, he is summonsing you to be about his purpose, his mission, and his ministry. What will you do? Will you walk out of here like you have the last five years and not allow the Spirit of God to lance your heart? Or will you make a new commitment to Him today? Let's pray together.